0: Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that gets you inside NRG Stadium and gets you ready for the NFL Draft, which is happening next week. Among other things that we do here, it's the offseason, but as the man said in the intro, there is no offseason. It's Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer John Harris with you tonight. DP Studio is going to join us in the next segment to give you information that you might not have known about some of the new Texans, and you're definitely going to want to hear this information. So we're looking forward to that. Johnny, Good evening my friend. Hey, we only have a few days left. That's really it. A few days left before the draft, a week from Thursday. Let's rock.
1: Thank God. I cannot tell you <laughs> how I mean, it's to a point where last probably week and a half been working on 2022 already. You you know that. I always work a year ahead. i Always yeah. have my document ready to go that I've got everything in Harris 100, which turned into Harris 250. And then I've got a document where I'm starting to look ahead, okay? What players do you need to be looking for in this summer and then I've got my trusty surface that's got all kinds of games uh, loaded up in him. And then I'm, I'm kind of dotting I's and crossing T's on some guys that kind of popped up late maybe or that I've kind of set aside that I want to just, okay, I need a day to look at this guy. Um, and that actually worked for a guy to get in the, in the Harris 100. Got by the name of Ifyatu Melfonwu. I can't wait until you have to say that name oh, when he's no. drafted. I hope he's drafted here. It's actually easier uh to pronounce um than it than it sounded or maybe than i sound made it sound but boy if he gets here he would be a big long fast corner who i think can really play and i studied him really hard about a about a week week and a half ago probably the last day before i sent in the second version and i was like okay yeah this guy can play and i was i was convinced when i saw at the senior bowl confirmed on film i felt good so Yeah, there's just those kind of last I's dotted, T's crossed sort of thing that we're ready to go.
0: Okay, well, we have a number of things to get to in the early going. First of all, and we'll get to this maybe a little bit later on in the show, but report got out that 40 players worked out for the Texans yesterday, first day of conditioning. And I thought that was a really good sign, John. I mean, you look at a lot of teams around the league, hey, we're not going to work out. Teams put out statements, or players put out statements, rather. And then all of a sudden, well, wait a minute. You know, you've got 40 players coming into the building to work out. Strong showing to start the week, to start the offseason conditioning program. I don't know how it's going to go every single day, but I do like that. You have a lot of guys on this squad who are hungry. And I think a lot of guys know that, you know what, I kind of got to work out because I don't know. Nick Casario said last week, I might not be here. You know, specifically, uh, well, nobody really specifically, but (laughs) he was referring to. The mass, the mass of players that they have signed here, there's no way they can possibly accommodate everybody come
1: September. So everyone's going to try to do their best to make the squad. It's interesting you say that about 40 people. I'm not surprised. I think you hit right on it. You know, hearing Nick Casario say there's competition, and some guys want to just get in a building, get a lay of the land. Where is everything? Where's the cafeteria? Where's the locker room? Where do I dress every day? Um, where's this, where's that, where's the practice field, where's the, all, all those kind of things you can kind of do on your own pace when you're going through the off season and look, 40 players, I, not to say that every single one of them's new, but I mean, that's about the number of new players, uh, that, that you have. Yeah. So again, you've said this a million times. We've heard everybody come through this building, say the same thing about this particular aspect. Yes, there are some players and there have been some teams that put out statements about boycotts and all that kind of stuff for the offseason program. This is all voluntary until yeah. the involuntary mini camp at the very, very end. It's always been that way. Always. It is voluntary. So for 40 players to be up there, I think is really cool. I actually saw a video of the Panthers working out. It looked like they're working out in some sort of bubble, um, which I don't. They, they. I think that is almost brand new. They know they've been working on it. And they got a new facility. It's actually going wow. in South Carolina. So I wondered at that point when I saw that video. Hmm. I wonder how many guys we have. So good to know that we've got guys that are doing that and getting ready for the season. And look, it's not that the other thirty-eight. I think there's seventy-eight guys in the roster right now. I think that's the number somewhere in there. The other thirty-eight aren't. You know, they're not uh, just goofing off. You know, they're getting ready for the season. They're just doing it their own way. And I've got, I've got no problem with that. And I remember Bill Brown didn't have any problem with it. I guarantee the staff doesn't really have a problem with it. Get yourself ready. When there's a mandatory situation like mini camp, be here. Be here for that aspect. Look, it would be nice if everybody got here, but that's just pie in the sky type of thinking that, you know, we can't come to, especially with COVID situation, all that. I don't know if we'll go back to what it used to be, But that was really nice, Mark, to see that there were a certain number of guys, you know, a few dozen that were um, uh, three dozen plus were there in the building getting some work done.
0: Very cool. All right. This is an anniversary, Johnny. The anniversary of when David Carr was drafted number one overall by the Houston (laughs) Texans in 2002. How about that? In fact, we've got a a number one overall draft pick. Who's better coming up in a few minutes here? We're going to play who's better in this segment. So stick around for that. But let's get to David Carr for a moment. I have my top three favorite David Carr plays, and I'm going to start. Of course now. you do. Of course, of course you do. do. I'm I
1: proud do. of you. I'm proud of you that you remember this anniversary and yes. you could share this with the people. This, this is fantastic. I'm curious too because I've told you this many times. In all honesty, the 2002 to 2006 period for me is just a kind of a dark period. I was not. I was not here. So it's always cool to me to hear. Those calls and those moments, um, especially a young Mark Vandermeer at the mic in those years. (laughs) Well, look, I think we all know what number one is going to be. So or
0: we have a pretty decent idea as people are listening in. Uh, And I don't have a highlight for number three, because uh, the highlight was not in the highlight reel and I got to dig through the game audio to find it. And I'm not going to do that right now. So (laughs) it, it occurred the first time the Texans ever beat the Colts. We all know that was 2006 Christmas Eve, Chris Brown, 42 yard field goal for the win. I'm not going to play that highlight, but we've played it many times. We've revisited that moment, but Johnny right before, and that was a big day for Ron Dane running the football over 150 (laughs) yards. They played keep away from Peyton Manning. That's how they beat the Colts for the first time ever in 2006. But right before the field goal, Carr, and this is his second-to-last game as a Texan, had to make a play. And he made a play hitting Andre Johnson for, I think it was a 16-yard gain that set up that field goal. And you could just feel it in the building that the coaches were like, we don't want to throw this football. We really don't (laughs) want to do this. This has been working so well all afternoon. Yeah running, running, running. Let's not throw it, but they had to. They were running out of time. Somebody had to make a play, and Carr made the play to Andre to set up the Chris Brown game winner to beat the Colts for the first time ever. So I got to give Carr some credit there, and, of course, Andre uh, for for making a nice play, and it was just a little uh, square in, and he got Mm -hmm. the field goal positioning catch. But those are important plays, right, to hit the receiver to set up a game-winning potential field goal.
1: Heck yeah. I mean those plays are those plays are massive and it comes from one of the big wins in in Texans history. So yes. Now the fact that you won't go find and dig that one up. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know you, if I'll give you a pass. I'll okay, give you a pass. Okay. I've got this next
0: one though. All right. This okay. is number two on the all-time David Carr top three plays in Texans history list. And it occurred week four of year two. This is the Texans against the Jaguars and there they were late in the game byron Leftwich, who's now the offensive coordinator for the box he's going to be a head coach in this league we all know what's going to happen eventually maybe next year he says he doesn't want to talk about it i get it but anyway he's playing quarterback for the jags and he turns it over the texans get the ball and they get it down to the one yard line and dom capers riverboat dom decides (laughs) instead of kicking a field goal automatic to send the game into overtime He is going to send Carr over the top, and here's what happened. If they make it, they win. If they don't make it, they lose. It's as simple as that. You're down here. You you may as well go do it right now. Two seconds left. Carr sneaks it over the top. He's in. Touchdown, Houston. The Texans win. The Texans beat Jacksonville on the final play of the game. Now, Johnny, I love the call because it worked. If it <laughs> yeah. doesn't work, if car Ooh, gets stuffed and the ball got knocked out, by the way. But after he crossed the plane, if it yeah. doesn't work, you're dead. But, you know, it's year two and whatever. At the time, the yeah. Texans went to two and two on the year uh, because they beat the Dolphins opening day, lost two in a row. And then they beat the Jags. They were two and two year two. I felt like, hey, that's not a bad start to do to go two and two. I would have taken two and two last year, believe me. Uh, Two and two in year two. Anyway, that was a nice play by David, and that
1: shows his athletic ability as well. No doubt. I always think that's one of the, the, I don't want to say the easiest, but I think it's one of the most effective. If your quarterback has got some pretty good hand-eye coordination or a little bit of ups, all you got to do is get the ball over. Now, when you're out in the field, you can't do that because you're not down until you're down. But once you cross the plane, that's it. That's all you need to do. Drew Brees is a magician. That was one of the things, was all, all the great things Drew Brees you know, had, had did in his career. He was so good at the over-the-top because all he had to do was take the snap and just get it over and then pop, just pop it over and then bring yeah. it back so you didn't fumble it or take the risk of fumble. He was so good at that. And obviously that's what David did on that particular play. I love that play at that point. I don't love that play out in the field because – Nine times out of 10, that turns into a fumble for the other squad. Not on the goal line, it just becomes a touchdown as long as you get the ball over the plane. And Johnny, I think number one,
0: look, I'm going to give it to the first touchdown in the history of the franchise. And we'll play that in just a second here. But in the game against Dallas, September 8th, 2002, David made a couple of nice throws in that game. Other throws to Corey Bradford, one that was a pass interference ticket on the first play of the game that got them at the scoring range. Another was in the second half when he hit Bradford on a deep throw that I think Bradford had to hold up for a little bit. But anyway, give Corey a lot of credit. He was a deep threat back then. And it's funny because those passes, you didn't get enough of that when you had Carr and Andre Johnson on the same team together. Carr's all-time long TD pass to Andre Johnson was 52 or something like that. And Andre never caught a touchdown pass longer than that until Matt Schaub got here. Very first game with Schaub, 70 plus against the Chiefs, bang, in 20 in 2007. And it was a different deal. But Carr looked kind of loose on opening day. And I remember when we were rerunning that game last year because during COVID, we had all this uh, nostalgia stuff. Uh, You could tell that he, he was loose. He kind of embraced the moment and he just played footloose and fancy free and I think he tightened up as time went on and I think his team's realized that there wasn't as much pass protection as the Texans would have liked uh, they took advantage of that
1: yeah and I think that starts to to play on any young quarterback I think we saw it with Sam Darnold a little bit where he wasn't quite sure what he was seeing out on the field I mean he said as such on Monday night football when he was mic'd up which I think is one of the uh, low brow moments in Monday Night Football to actually play that from the mic'd up. Like, oh man, that's just a killer. But mm-hmm. it just goes to show when you don't have, when you don't have the, the protection that ended up coming in later years mm-hmm. and you start to take a few hits and now all of a sudden your clock is kind of twisted and warped a little bit. Then all of a sudden you start to do things that you didn't do. Mm -hmm. in that game against the Cowboys and I think you're right you know going back and watching that game and you're like man David Carr just looks in control like you if you didn't know you wouldn't have really been able to surmise that he was a rookie in that particular game but then the hits start piling up and then you start holding the ball a little bit longer you try to make something happen and it just becomes you know this this avalanche of things you don't want your quarterback to go through and Unfortunately, David had to go through that. I, you know, it's funny you talk about pass protection. I always, you know, step back, and I I talk to Chester Pitts about this a lot, and he gets kind of upset about some of it. You know, oh, it's not on the the offensive line, which is true. It is. What ends up happening is that your quarterback, just like your offensive line, look, your offensive line's going to get beat up and get beat a little bit. Um, You know, it was like the year that Deshaun took, you know, 62 sacks. Those were not all on the offensive line. Uh, you know, I went back and graded a lot of them. There's probably a good 1415 at least that were on Deshaun for not getting the ball out of his hands quick enough. Uh, now he was able to adapt um, and adjust because he had uh, some guys along with him and he made the adjustments. David was unable to make it and it was unfortunate, but night one 2002 that was pretty sweet. And here it is, the all-time greatest
0: play in the history of David Carr's tenure as a Houston Texan on the anniversary of when he was drafted. Here's Carr calling signals. Takes the snap. Stands tall. Throws. Short left. Caught by Miller. Takes it over the five. Into the end zone. Touchdown, Houston. David Carr to Billy Miller, the first touchdown in Texans history. And David Carter, Billy Miller will live in Texans history forever. And I've always said this about that game. You could win 10 Super Bowls, but you're still going to talk about that night. You'll talk about the 10 Super Bowls, believe me. But you'll still talk about that night as a great night for what it was, opening up franchise history, beating the, the Dallas Cowboys. And, I think, you know, you brought up some of the points already, Johnny, but if Baselli was healthy, if Ryan Young was healthy, uh, who knows what would have happened with David, because we see this example now with Alex Smith retiring this week. Alex Smith, number one overall pick in 2005, and look what happened when he eventually got Jim Harbaugh as his head coach, and his career really turned around with the help of Harbaugh, then eventually Andy Reid. With David Carr, look, maybe it was never going to happen, but Maybe it would have been different had he been able to sit for a year or Baselli and Ryan Young stay healthy and you have those bookend tackles that Charlie casually, hey, see, I had this idea. You got these bookend <laughs> tackles, you protect the rookie <laughs> quarterback, and we're good to go. Yeah. And if that had happened, you know, maybe his career is very different from what it became, but it is what it is. And give him credit for building a career on the NFL network as a commentator post-playing career I like what I see from him in that category and look I like David the cards are very likable people Derek's very likable so good luck to them all
1: yeah David you're right he does a pretty good job in NFL Network I I get frustrated with people that will say oh Tony Basile was the worst Texan ever like I mean (laughs) he just he he was injured he was not Ready to play, you know. Same with Ed Reed. You know, Ed Reed came here as damaged goods. You know, when he got here, and both of them were injured. But they're Hall of Fame players. Obviously, Ed Reed's gone in. I think Baselli will go in at some point. Man, Baselli was so good in his prime. And you know, maybe that's why Texas fans are, are are mad about it. But it's like, you know, he's the worst Texan people say. And I'm like. I I don't know. Well, well, is it
0: is he the worst acquisition, perhaps, considering how high profile he was at the time? And they made him sort of the immediate face of the franchise prior yeah. to the drafting of Carr because he was. You know, the expansion draft really didn't have a draft order, but they yeah. announced him first. So, I mean, it really hurt, though, because yeah. we do have photos of him in a Texans uniform, but he never played in the game, and yeah. it's really a tease. All right, Johnny, let's uh, transition here to who's better, but I'm going right. to relay it to number one overall pick stuff because it's the anniversary of Carr getting drafted. Alex Smith yep. retires this week, but the Texans yep. have two others uh, as far as number one overall picks besides David Carr in their history. So I'm going to ask you right now, Who's better, Mario Williams, number one overall pick in 2006, or Jadeveon Clowney, number one overall pick in 2014? Who's better, Johnny? And if you want the numbers, I'll give them to you because the case is very compelling for the old guy.
1: I, yeah, I know. I know it is for Mario. Mario was much more productive sack-wise. Mm-hmm. Clowney scared teams. When you talk to people around the league, even when J.J. was going re- just unbelievably well. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, Clowney's you know, two biggest years were in 16 and 17 when J.J. was hurt. But in 18, mm-hmm. I've gone back and watched that game against the Philadelphia Eagles often. And I guarantee you, Philly was scared to death of him, yeah. of Clowney. I knew Mario was good, and and I felt like Mario, he's the number one overall pick. But in some ways, Mario was underrated. Like I don't think people really gave Mario the his just due for how good he actually was. But if I've got to take one of them fully healthy, mm-hmm. I'll take Clowny ten times out of ten. It, you know, I feel that way too. I
0: think a lot of this has to do with, I mean, the disruption ability and stuff that yes. really doesn't show on the stat sheet because. I looked at force fumbles, TFLs. I looked at everything, every number I could find. It's all Mario. Yeah, Yeah. it's all Mario. And, you know, now Clowney can compete in the force fumbles and some of the TFLs. uh, And Clowney hasn't been able to play as long as Mario was in the league. Right. So, you know, maybe Clowney turns into this highly productive, you know, he's three years in a row of double digit sacks. I don't know. But he has yet to get there to double digit sacks. And Mario was there very often. And Mario, I thought he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory until he got injured in 2011 and had to go out week five which is his earliest exit ever in a season every other season he's played I think at least 13 games so Mario stuck around 10 years very productive but I I'm with you I think you're right Clowney scared teams more I think offensive coordinators were probably up later at night worried about what Clowney would do than Mario
1: yeah I I think that's that's definitely the case and you know Obviously, Mario got hurt in that 2011 season and was was crushing it early in that 2011 season. And I would love to have seen it. I want obviously butterfly effect of him staying healthy that whole year. He stays healthy of all of 2011. In 2012, first of all, is the result different in 2011? That then changes your draft position. But then, because he chooses to leave in 2011, because you don't really know what you have at that point, he's injured, he's banged up. He goes to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. You draft Whitney Merciless, right? So, do you draft Whit if you've got it, if you've got Mario fully healthy, and he's going and he's just crushing it with Watt on that off on that defensive line now uh, with the guys they have up there, Cody Earl Mitchell, et cetera. Yeah, do you end up drafting Whitney Merciless? And if you don't, who do you draft in 2012? with? Where- there's so many things that happen when he tears that pack and moves on. It just changes the trajectory and probably changes it to a point where you end up having to draft number one overall after a, a horrible 2013 season. But I just know that listening to players, listening to coaches, mm-hmm. kind of watching on the field, Clowney scared them. Clowney worried them in some cases more than even J.J. at times. And in that Philadelphia game, you could see it. You could see that. Philadelphia was like, how do we handle this guy? And the, and the double teams that. and the chips were going to Clowny mm-hmm. in that game. And if you watched it and you didn't know who was who, mm-hmm. you're like, who's 90? Is that what? That would have been your first thought because in that game, he was so completely dominant. I mean, it was that was Clowny to a tee. Show up yep. for a big game and, Manny showed up. All right, next, who's better? Who's
0: better? I'm going to go old quarterback and young quarterback. And I'm just going right to it. Who's better, Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick? Who's better, Johnny? Name it. Vick played in an NFC Championship game. Vick was Vick. We all know what happened to the career. Yep. Lamar Jackson just starting out, really, compared to Michael Vick, has
1: not been able to log as much time. But who's better? This this hurts because I've been a I've been a Vick guy ever since his freshman year at Virginia Tech, and I've always said this. When they played in 1999, you know this, having covered Seminoles that year, nobody, nobody ran with the Florida State Seminoles. And nobody was ever faster than anybody on the field in the Florida State Seminoles. And when they played a national championship game, Virginia Tech with Michael Vick, and Vick was running away from Florida State Seminoles, I was like, this is a whole different cat now. This is a whole – I would love to do this with my quarterbacks. It's just a different ball game. That said, Lamar throws the ball. I think better than Vic does. I think Lamar can be more effective now. Vic always had a cannon, so he could just launch. Yeah, but the intermediate stuff, there were a lot of times he missed that, and I have to take off and scramble and run. Lamar, I think, is very, very good utilizing all levels of the field, and I think another year, I think Lamar will continue to evolve and become an even better passer uh, as he goes through this and and leave kind of the throwing moniker, the thrower moniker, behind and become a dual-threat passer as opposed to a dual-threat thrower where you know he can throw it deep, he's got the gun, but now he can, as a passer, deliver to all areas. So I think Lamar over Vic. Vic never – Vic looked at football differently early in his career. It was just kind of what he did.
0: All right. You have 60 seconds for this next one. It's not going to do enough time. So we're we're going to do it maybe later in the week as well. Okay. Who's better? Better idea, the soccer super league or a college football <laughs> super division
1: <laughs> with maybe 50 teams. The European super league would actually work, I think, mm-hmm. if – if you didn't have some of the UEFA and and champions league that you already have, because you could integrate that into the, the leagues that they have, the premier league, La Liga, et cetera, college football, those groups break away. Mm -hmm. That would be their primary group. That would be the group. Right. And I think that that wouldn't work. The super league was always going to be replacing champions league but it wasn't going to replace their, their domestic leagues. leagues. Yeah. But that would probably have a, you know, a ripple effect on champions league. So I would say a better idea. I think the super league is a better idea. I just think it was executed poorly college football, super league with like 50 some odd teams. That's coming. I know that's coming. I know that's definitely coming down the road. Very cool. Johnny. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. All right, coming up, DP Sidu with
0: information you need to know on some new Texans. Very cool stories, cool stuff coming up on Texans Radio. Hang up on Texans Radio. Hang up on Texans Radio. Hang up on Texans. It's Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer with you. Joined now by Deepy Siddu, lead writer, HoustonTexans.com, Texans TV, all the rest of it. DP, it's been a while since we caught up, so I thought let's do it now. I know you've been doing a Meet the Texans series. You've been writing a whole lot this offseason no shortage of players to write about.
2: Usually when free agency kicks off, we write a few stories about the players. We have some press conferences, and then we just sort of twiddle our thumbs until the draft starts. Uh, But I started this Meet the Player series several weeks ago when Nick Casario was just in this flurry of signing new free agents because, you know, I thought a lot of our fans are out there wondering who they are. And we, as people covering the team, want to know more about these players. And I thought, well, this is a good exercise in learning about each player and there's just so many new players. I mean, we, I think when we hit training camp and the preseason, we're going to, we're all going to need rosters because um, there's a lot more newer faces than familiar faces, but the, the meet the Texan series has been a lot of fun to cover because I feel like you really get a sense of these players. And and when they do have their press conferences, we've seen a few of them here this offseason. Um, it sort of fills in the gaps of their their resume and where they've been and sort of their journey to get to Houston.
0: Well, it it reminds me of some commercials I used to hear in my youth, like, how do we do it? Volume, right? (laughs) With the the Houston Texans this off season, the volume of players extremely high. Uh, But some stories pop more than others or some people do. What were some of the free agents, one or two or three of them, that really stood out to you or acquisitions? I know there were a few trades in the mix, of course.
2: Well, I mean, a lot of them, it's, it's, you know, what we had like 70 over 70 transactions. So of the ones that I've done so far, because I'm still cranking through them, and we're trying to release one a day. So I'll tell you out of the ones that I've done so far the the last one I wrote was uh, Kamu uh, Gruje Hill, the linebacker from Hawaii. Um, you know, he won a Super Bowl ring with the Eagles a few years back. But I, it's funny to see the ties of how they end up in Houston because he was actually drafted by the Patriots by Nick Casario and then was a part of roster cuts before the start of the season and then went on to have a, a really good career with the Eagles and spent uh 2020 with the Dolphins. Really versatile skill set. That's something I'm sort of seeing across all the different storylines. But you know, being from Hawaii, he likes to surf. I, I check out, the, I mean, I follow all of them on social media now as I get to know them. Um, So a lot of varied interest there. There's one player, um, O-Lineman Cole Toner. I I texted you guys that day. I was like, he went to the same high school as me. He's from Greenwood, Indiana. He went to Roncalli High School and then went to Harvard. So I felt like just by proxy, I should be considered smart because somebody from my high school um, went to Harvard. I'm totally kidding. But he's also a drummer for a band called Blind Melanin, um, which I don't know if people are familiar with the group Blind Melon. Yes, Shannon Hoon, the lead singer who, who died of a drug overdose in the mm-hmm. 90s. He was from West Lafayette, Indiana. Um, but Coltoner had a pretty interesting background having gone to Harvard. He did a lot of internships, State, uh, state Street Bank. He also interned for uh, Indiana Senator Todd Young. Uh, linebacker Christian Kirksey I thought was right. uh, really interesting. I re- I, I'd totally forgotten about this, but then in just doing the research, I remember that he was part of the Madden 2015 glitch where they had one really teeny tiny linebacker mm-hmm. one foot, two inches. That was him. And I went down this wormhole one day of just watching all of the interviews that he did about he's <laughs> overcome his size to be successful in the league. And, and, um, you know, I saw some highlights of, of one foot, two inch Kirksey high-fiving like a regular size player on the field. So, um, you know, it's like, I really enjoy not just their football backgrounds. Cause I think a lot of us know where some of these guys went to college Um, And we're, you know, like their NFL career, like the highlights of it, but just sort of more about them quarterback, Ryan Finley, who we knew played for the Bengals last year. I was really impressed with what a great athlete he was like at the, at the high school level, whatever sport he picked up, he just excelled at. And Mark, as a basketball player, you will appreciate this. He once scored 37 points in a basketball game. He made 100% of his shots in that game. Did not mm. miss a single shot for Paradise, Paradise Valley High, uh, which sounds like a romance novel series that I read when I was in junior
0: high.
2: <laughs> um, it was a 2012-2013 basketball champions for his high school. Um, he scored 37 straight points. He also led Arizona, in the whole state, in passing yards and with 35 passing touchdowns in high school. He He, he was like on roller hockey he was on the usa roller hockey team played roller hockey for 10 years he was just a phenomenal athlete had some injuries in college transferred but you know you can see why these guys are able to have the career that they have in the league and you kind of hope that that ceiling is still there for him and maybe he just starts a fresh chapter and and you just see what they can sort of add collectively um, to this roster but it's been it's been a lot of fun getting to know these players if you ask me
0: And the assistant coaches, too. I know Drew's done a lot of work on that, but man, there are a lot of guys to get to know. When you look at this assistant coach's roster, you know, Tim Kelly's back, obviously, as offensive coordinator. I love Pep Hamilton being part of this crew and, you know, Lovey Smith, who's done everything. You know, I think it's it's interesting to point out, you know, Mike Vrabel did the one year as defensive coordinator in 2017. But when you look at the last three now, you know, fully assigned defensive coordinators, I know Vrabel had that year, but you have – Wade Phillips going into Romeo Cornell going into Lovey Smith, you know, and and all guys are former head coaches, which I like as well. So it's an interesting group,
2: and I like their. I mean, their temperament all seems very similar. You know, just mm-hmm. uh, really experienced, seen a lot of football, coached a lot of really big name players. Obviously, Lovey Smith. I mean, Wade Phillips uh, and, and, and Romeo Cornell. You know, they're all they're all very much esteemed in that category, and and Lovey Smith has had a career. I, I'm, Hardy Nickerson, who's a linebacker that we signed, he played for Lovey at Illinois. His dad was a four-time All-Pro. He also played for Lovey, and then he went on to coach with Lovey. The Hardy Nickerson yeah. Senior. Yeah, that's how long Lovey Smith's been around in this league. You know, I, I'm really excited about these names on the coaching staff. And you mentioned Drew's d- doing a very similar series with the, getting to know the coaches, Pep Hamilton. You know, the the names that these guys have worked with over the years, I'm excited to see what they bring to this coaching staff from their perspective. I think it adds a lot of gravitas um, as assistant coaches, because sometimes you get assistant coaches and you're like, okay, great. These are assistant coaches. But I mean, there's some big name assistants on the staff.
0: So you've been coming in a bunch to do Texans 360. You've been writing a ton. You're doing a lot of Zoom stuff still. Uh, So here we are still in the pandemic, but coming out of it. Uh, What's it like to do your job during this time? Because a year ago, we were kind of like burrowing in, you know, we're going into hibernation and getting to do our jobs all on Zoom, all virtually digitally. Uh, But here we are. The draft next week its going to be interesting. I don't know exactly how it's going to go down yet. We're still sort of formulating our plans. But what do you think of where we're at now?
2: I mean I like it compared to last year I felt like last year it was all hands on deck. I mean we 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 didn't really even understand how Zoom fully worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that we have a good handle on Zoom and we're able to, you know, I like being able to go in and shoot TV stuff like you mentioned, going in and shooting Texans 360 when I need to. I like being able to write at home. I I personally like to just be in my sweats <laughs> and uh, you know, be comfortable. I like to do press conferences on Zoom because sometimes you're just waiting around for a long time for these players to come out. I, I really do miss the in-person player interviews. I, I hope that um, this year we're moving more in that direction. It seems like we're moving a little bit more towards normal with still elements of pandemic in place, but I've seen some of my counterparts from other teams doing very, very, very wide shot, socially distanced interviews with players and coaches. And I mean, that's the part that I really miss because I feel like we can interview these guys on zoom. We can write stories from home, but until you're in the locker room or on the practice field and talking to them, that's when you really develop that rapport and get a sense of players and get a sense of, of what they're all about. And for me, that's my favorite part of my job is the deep slant getting to interview players. It's fine on zoom. It's great on zoom. At least we're able to still do it. But, um, I'm I'm really looking forward to the day that we can sort of incorporate a little bit more of that in-person stuff as we move forward.
0: So you've been vaxxed, right?
2: I have, I've got my second one. It was, um, Not fun, but someone, someone had warned me. They're like, don't you and your husband get your second shot on the same day. And I was like, whatever. I've had the first one. I was totally fine. I had a little bit of arm soreness, but just to err on the side of caution, I had my husband do his like a good 48 hours after mine. And that was probably the best advice. I I got Moderna and I don't know if that makes a difference or not, but I've had, had friends that have suffered side effects from both. Now you you've had COVID. So how did it compare to actually having COVID? I heard it's still pretty bad.
0: Well, the first I had side effects off the first one. I have not had the second one yet. Oh and I'm thinking, why am I getting this thing? It's COVID revisited. <laughs> I just had mini COVID, you know, a three-day version of what I had before. I because as you know, we've talked about it before. I've had the symptoms, I mean, really bad when I had COVID. You did. Uh, but you did. yeah, and I made it through, obviously. But I have the second one. It was scheduled the night before the draft. And I'm thinking, there's no Ooh, way I'm doing that because no. I have to be alert. I have to be on. So I rescheduled it for oh, after really? the draft. Yeah, they that, let me do it.
2: That's smart. I, I mean, I would if, if anyone's listening and is getting your COVID, just don't do it on a day when you've got something super important the next morning, because I was just so exhausted. Like, I, I thought I was fine. I went and dropped my kids off at school. And then I came home and I'm like, I'm just going to sleep maybe 30 minutes. And then I awoke five hours later. (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, I had a little burst of energy. I was able to get some stuff done and then I was wiped out again. So I wasn't as bad as maybe some people, but I just wasn't super productive that day.
0: I think, you know, with the players and everything the league is going through with players coming in or not coming in. And I know that there was a report last week, the Texans weren't going to come in. Then you have 40 players show up on Monday, which was awesome. And who knows how this is all going to play out, but, I also read that you might need a booster vaccine Mm -hmm. before the holidays. And I'm thinking that's football season, ladies and gentlemen. I don't (laughs) know if these players, if that's a good idea, if you're going to do it, do it on a Monday, like right after the game, not before the game, because what if you get side effects from it?
2: Yeah, I read that. So six months out, which is right around cold and flu season, but maybe they could push it out till after the season. I don't know. I don't know how the booster is going to work. I think about all the people that got the, the, the shot first, like all these elderly people mm-hmm. um, that got theirs in January, they'll be up for a booster much, much sooner. But I guess that's good because you, you want people that are more at risk to be fully vaccinated and first in
0: line, be,
2: first in line, ready to go.
0: Uh, final thought here, any shows worth binge watching that I've missed because <laughs> I mean, when we started talking about this, it was tiger King a year ago. And in the last year I've done all seasons of suits Uh, Succession, Ray Donovan. uh, I'm working on some other ones now. Snowfall is one I've picked up, which I didn't even know about. It's on FX. It's pretty good. I saw a debate on Twitter that it might be better than The Wire. It's not better than The Wire, but it's pretty good. Do you have anything for me, DB?
2: I am really embarrassed to admit some of the stuff that I watch. uh,
0: (laughs) The Bachelor.
2: (laughs) I binge watched um, a show called House of Ho. Which okay. was about the Ho family. They're Vietnamese, um, and they live in. Houston, I've heard about this. And they live in River Oaks. And yes, <laughs> it's on HBO Max. And I actually know someone in the show because someone said the kids go to the same school as your kids. And I and I was like, well, it's a big school. Like I probably don't know who they are. But then when I saw the 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 the, the main character. Uh, Washington Ho, his wife, I was like, I feel like I've served on some committee or something with her. <laughs> she looks so familiar. She's very sweet. Um, but I watched, I binge watched that. It's only like six episodes. But the fun part about that is I love watching shows based in Houston because you're like, oh, I've been there. And well, there's yep. the Galleria. And, and, you know, they do a lot of stuff in the River Oaks district. A lot of the restaurants they frequent. It's kind of cool to just to see a lot of Highland Village and River Oaks and a few places that I'd never even been to before. Um, on that show. So
0: I, I still love watching urban cowboy terms of endearment, all these flicks that are based in Houston. Anyway, DP, thanks a lot for being with us. Thanks, Mark. There's DP Sidhu. Let's continue with the program. More coming up as we go around the league next on Texans radio. It's on Texans radio. It's on Texans. final segment here on Texans radio tonight. And we began the show talking about the report yesterday, 40 players working out at NRG stadium for the Houston Texans. And this is after It was reported last week that the Texans would not be working out as a squad at the stadium, along with so many other teams in the National Football League. A lot of this is union stuff, by the way. Players definitely know they need to work out whichever way they do, whether they do it in the facility with people or outside of the facility privately or with certain individuals that are team members outside of the facility, whatever the case may be. This is their livelihood This is what they do. They know they need to get ready for a season. I don't know how this will shape things long-term. As Johnny said, it is voluntary. So if it's voluntary, I mean, technically, you don't have to be there. Even though over the years we've seen near 100% participation around the league club to club for these voluntary off-season workouts, blending into OTAs, eventually the mandatory mini camp that takes place in mid to late June. So we'll see how it plays out this year. Obviously, COVID has a great deal to do with it. I can tell you this, the building, you do see players around. I am not in that inner tier as I wasn't during the season. I'll probably blend in at some point. Hey, getting vaxxed. I've had the first one. The second one is on the way. I've uh, reported to everybody that I've had COVID. I had it during the season. Not that that matters much anymore to the scientists. If you've had it, hey, get the vaccination anyway. Look, it's, if it's available, go ahead and do it. Obviously, that's something I'm doing, and I want to be part of everything this season. want to be on that plane traveling to games. We did so many games remotely Uh, Those road games, we did them off monitors. We feel like we pulled it off, had all the good audio, all the good visuals that we could describe the action with, but it's just not the same. A couple of other things we hit on. The number one overall pick in the draft stuff, with this being the anniversary of when David Carr was drafted, of course this week with Alex Smith retiring. You know, I heard Sean Pendergast this morning bring up a point that I always like to remind people of regarding Alex Smith, which is, Yeah, he was number one overall in 2005, and a lot of people forget that, that he was not successful in his first few years in San Francisco. There was one game here in 2009. The 49ers came in, and the Texans beat them that day. Mike Singletary was the head coach, but Smith threw three touchdown passes in the second half, and I'll never forget that. I also remember Alex Smith played in the Reggie Bush Bowl. That was New Year's Day 2006, the last game of the Capers era as Alex Smith was squaring off against David Carr who got hurt in the game and Tony Banks came in and eventually the Texans lost in overtime to lock up the number one overall pick in the draft. So the Texans sort of have a history Not sort of. They have a history with Alex Smith. They played him, obviously, as a 49er. They played him, obviously, as a Chief. He started that playoff game that the Chiefs won 30 to nothing. And they were looking like they were going to end Alex Smith's career in 2018 when J.J. Watt got him and forced or caused, I mean, I hate to put that all on J.J., but the hit caused the injury that Alex Smith had to come back from. And that's been documented so well. Uh, as Alex Smith miraculously came back from that injury. In fact, I missed out on a who's better. We did who's better earlier with Johnny, and I had one. Who's better, or really in this case, what's more gruesome, the Joe Thysman injury suffered at the hands or whatever body of Lawrence Taylor or the Alex Smith injury. You could say the Alex Smith recovery might be more gruesome only because we saw so much of it on that documentary. The Joe Theismann one was definitely a career ender. I don't know if it would have been today. I'm sure he's weighed in on that. Hey, they are both Washington quarterbacks, so I'm sure Theismann's been talked to plenty of times about the Alex Smith situation. But that Theismann injury, it was on the national stage. It was Monday Night Football. It was the Giants and Washington and huge game back then. And obviously Theismann, Larger-than-life character, and same with Lawrence Taylor, one of the greatest defensive players ever, if not the greatest defensive player ever. All right, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Johnny's got draft Wednesday. Tomorrow I'll be on the program, and we got a lot of things to go over before the draft hits. One week from Thursday, we'll be on every hour of the draft with John Harris analyzing every pick and a whole bunch of other great coverage elements for you. Thanks a lot, Joanna, for producing. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans!